0: Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 12? I know it says 1 John, but as I was looking at the text coming up, it's all about Antichrist. And I thought that's not a good parting note. So uh, this week and next week, I'd like to share with you from my heart about a man named Abraham and some lessons of faith that he learned. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 12 this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we calm our hearts before You as we look into Your Word and what it would say to us specifically about our outlook. More important, our uplook. And Father, we know that our uplook will determine our outlook. So as we search Your Word and as You search our hearts, I pray that there would be a meeting together of the two And great change would occur so that we become more and more in the image of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, I was in Spokane, Washington in an airport and I saw the sign across the lobby that said, buckle up, you're going on an adventure. And I decided that's a great name for a message. So that's what this message is called. Buckle up, you're going on an adventure. Now, that was an advertisement for Southwest Airlines flying you from, I think it was Tahoe to Reno. And uh, it was all about the adventure you would have on their airlines. But that little statement is more true of Abram once he decided to follow God's plan than any other time in his life. There was the sense of adventure that God was kindling in him as he was going to now follow not his plan, but God's plan. Perhaps that sense of adventure is missing from your life. I think it's missing from a lot of Christians, to be frank with you. The idea of what's Next, God, what do you have for us, for me, now? You may remember the name Peggy Noonan. She was a speechwriter for former President Ronald Reagan. And she said something about Christians in one of her books that I had to underline and I had to share it with you. She said, it is odd that some Christians see themselves as the media do as bland guys in gray suits with gray buzz cuts. She said, they ought to see themselves as a young Marlon Brando on a Harley. For they are the true anti-establishment, true rebels, and with a cause. Now, I love that statement, not only because she mentioned Harleys in it. If you have a Suzuki or a Honda, I'm sorry, I'm reading her quote here. But the idea is that following God brings or should bring a sense of excitement, of anticipation. If you think about it, your destination is already assured. In the end, you're going to go to heaven. Why not enjoy the ride along the way? Sure, there's going to be curves in the road. There's going to be bumps. Life would be boring without it. But... What great scenery on the way from here all the way to heaven. That sense of adventure. The Associated Press some time ago released an article about a man who was 52 years of age up in Pasadena who was arrested for sleepwalking. He was out in the streets. He was in his pajamas carrying an alarm clock set to go off at six in the morning. And the um, picture was shown and the news caption that says the police succeeded in beating the clock, in waking him up. There's a lot of Christians even like that who are spiritually sleepwalking. They're conscious, but they're not really awakened or aware of the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So here's the question I'd like to ask and answer today. How do we live with a sense of purpose. How do we live in such a way that we influence others, in such a way that we make a mark? How do we live a master planned life planned by the master? There's a principle that we're going to see here. I'm just going to give it to you and then we'll reaffirm it as we go through. We're going to see it in Abram's life. People who make a difference. People who live with purpose are people who respond to God. People who make a difference, people who live with purpose, are people who respond to God. That's the general principle that we're going to see here. And you're going to notice with me three movements of Abram's response to God. And each three of those has a principle that ties into that greater principle. We're going to discover that Abram listened to God's Word. Abram obeyed God's voice. Abram enjoyed God's blessing. We're going to see these three movements as we go through a few verses in chapter 12. Now folks, if you live this way, like Abram, if you follow this kind of pattern, all of the boredom gets taken out of life. There's no greater, more exciting road to travel than this kind of path that Abram follows. Now get this, Abram is 75 years old at this point in his life when God takes him on an adventure. Now that should hearten a lot of us, because the point is, don't ever let age be an obstacle to that kind of excitement and anticipation in life that God wants to give you. He's 75, and life's just beginning for old Abe at this point. I think somebody once said, if wrinkles must be etched upon your brow, make sure they're not etched upon your heart. Ever young was Abram. So let's look now at chapter 12, and here's the first principle. God's Word leads to faith. God's Word leads to faith. Verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Did you notice how that begins? It says, Now the Lord said... Let me tell you why that's significant. Because there's been a long silence from heaven. God has not spoken to anyone since the time of Noah. If you were to go through the book of Genesis, you discover that God speaks to Noah about building a boat, the flood, after the flood, populate the earth. And then there are generation after generation after generation that fill in that gap. And God doesn't say anything till now. Now God speaks. And now Abram listens. And it's listening to God's Word that produces faith. Now in the paragraph we just read, you could divide the paragraph into two sections. Section 1. Commands, section 2, promises. God tells them to do stuff, then God promises that He'll do stuff. Notice it first begins with a command. Uh, he says, get out of your country, and from your family, and from your father's house. God's first communication to Abram is an imperative, a commandment. Not, hi, Abram, how you doing? Nice tie, nice robe, nice sandals. Hey, it's it's just right to the point. God gives him a command. Leave, he says. Leave your country. Leave your family. Leave your father's house. Those three, country, family, father's house, those three comprise the influences that mold life. And he's telling Abram, make a break, cut the ties, and move forward in your life. In other words, Abram, God has a blessing for you, but for you to enjoy that blessing, you're going to have to sever some ties, some of those relationships. And here's why. Old relationships can sometimes be a detriment to your spiritual growth. Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To the extent that we are willing to leave the old life will determine how much we enjoy the new life. All of those influences I want you to cut off. That's my commandment. Get away from them. Then God makes some promises. And beginning in verse 1, at the end of that, all the way down to verse 3, God says, I will, five times. Now you tell me where the emphasis is in this paragraph as you read through it. To a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you you get the idea that God is emphasizing his ability to do something even more so than Abrams ability God's telling him what he's going to do for him the Victorian preacher from London Joseph Parker said great lives are trained by great promises so once again here's Abram listening to God's commands and God's promises and as he listens to these commands and promises faith grows inside of him. God's word leads to faith it's a New Testament principle so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God he's listening to God as he speaks and you'll discover that God promises to Abram what he will do for him I'll make you a great nation What he will do in him, I will bless you. And what God will do through him, in you all the nations of the earth, will be blessed. I think it's sort of odd and out of order that many Christians today will place so much of the emphasis in the Christian life on what we should do for God rather than us responding to all of the things God has done and is doing for us. I think we get the emphasis backwards. You ought to do this for God. You ought to do that for God. So we usually leave church with those kind of sermons going, I don't do much for God and I feel really bad about myself. Thank you very much. The emphasis in the Bible is always man's response to what God has already done. Back in 1961... Not like I remember it like it was yesterday, but I was just a little tyke about that big. And, uh, John F. Kennedy gave his inaugural speech on a cold January morning. And he said that famous line that's now been immortalized. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And there's a lot of Christians who think, well, that's how we live the Christian life. Ask not what God can do for you, but ask what you can do for God. Here's the truth. You can't do anything for God until you discover what God has done for you. 1 John chapter 4, we love Him because He first loved us. He initiates and we respond. Look at verse 2. God says, I will make you a great nation. i got to laugh at that. If you ever wondered if God has a sense of humor or not, that verse will tell you He does. God is saying this to a 75-year-old man with an infertile wife. They can't even have a kid. And God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. How cool is that? How utterly impossible that is. However, we now know today, looking at the sons of Ishmael and Isaac, over 350 million of them, that nations came from this one man named Abram. Now, in hearing this, you might say, well, that's all fine and good for Abe, but this certainly doesn't apply to me because, Skip, chances are I'm not going to become a great nation. Ah, but what is a nation? It's simply one person expanded to great proportions. Listen to the words of Ray Steadman, who wrote a commentary on this. In the Bible, every nation begins with a man. Then there's a family. And as the family grows and expands, there is finally a nation. Every nation is but the continued, expanded life of a single man. Abram, I'm going to make your life, your influence expand. And from him was birthed patriarchs and prophets and kings and people who wrote the Bible. And finally, through that nation of Abram came Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah. So here's the principle. God wants to make you a blessing to expand your life, your influence, He wants you to live a master-planned life that will reach out and bless others. You go, great! I'm up for it. How do I do it? First principle, by exposing yourself to a steady diet of God's Word because God's Word produces faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Peter put it this way, as newborn babies... Desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. So I want to encourage you. Get off junk food spiritually and get on a good, steady, wholesome diet of God's Word. Nothing can substitute for it. USA Today put out an article that said one in five Americans say They never read the Bible, although 90% of them say they own at least one copy of the Bible. Now, that is interesting. Yeah, it's really good to have a copy of the Bible, just never read it. 80% say the Bible is the most influential book in human history, while only 17% read it daily. Folks, there's a lot of books out there in the world, and some of those books will offer you gratification. They'll amuse you. They'll entertain you. Other books will offer you information. They'll make you smarter. You'll learn a lot of stuff. Only the Bible promises and produces transformation. It changes you utterly and completely. Martin Luther used to say, the Bible is alive it speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It grabs a hold of me. So faith leads to obedience. Here's the second principle, beginning in verse 4. Um, no, hearing leads to faith. Second one, faith leads to obedience. Verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, his nephew, and all their possessions that they had gathered. And the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan, so they came to the land of Canaan. Now look at that first part of that first verse in that section. It says, So... Abram departed. In other words, he obeyed what God said. So God's Word led to faith. His faith led to obedience. Now, after hearing, he does what God says. But here's the kicker. He didn't know where he was going. Right? In verse 1, God says, Get up and go to the land I will show you. That's future tense. God has not shown him yet. Now that's that's a step of faith imagine the moving van pulls up to the driveway well where am I taking this stuff to I don't know yet God hasn't told me but let's just drive and God will show us he gets up he packs house and he's on the move doing what God said though he doesn't know where he is going. Hebrews 11 gives commentary on this. We read, By faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. But he went. He obeyed after hearing. The hearing produced faith. The faith now produces obedience. In the 17th century, there was an old Puritan author named Thomas Fuller, who said, you could divide mankind into three classes of people. Class one, Intenders. Class two, Endeavorers. Class three, Performers. Intenders, Endeavorers, Performers. Abram's dad was named Terah. Terah was an intender. He intended to go with Abram from Ur of the Chaldees, his home, into the new land of Canaan. He didn't make it. The end of chapter 11 says he dies in a place called Haran. He intended to go. He didn't make it all the way. He was an intender. Lot, the nephew of Abram, was an endeavorer. He made it all the way into the land, but when times got tough, he refused to walk by faith. Abram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah they become, are performers. They make it all the way from Ur, all the way to Haran, all the way to the land of Canaan, and though they had lapses of faith by and large, they listened and they obeyed what God said. Whatever we hear from God must lead to something. Or remember this, hearing should always lead to heeding. Remember the warning in James chapter 2 where he writes, Brothers and sisters, what's the use of saying you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It is dead and useless. Did you know that the Bible altogether has 31,173 verses from Genesis to Revelation? And of those 31,173, most of them are found in the old. A lot of them are found in the new. But if you were to tally up in that structure of verses of Scripture, all of the promises God made to man, you'd count, I believe, 700, four, 7,487 promises that God made to man. Now That's enough to live on. Here's the question. All of those promises God has made to you, what do you do with them? If you say, well, I underline them. You can go through my Bible and they're in yellow. Hey, that's cool. What else do you do with them? Well, I memorize them. Oh, great. All right. Memorize them. Bible memory. That's good. And those are good first steps, but please, you can't stop there. The answer should be, I live by them. I take them to the bank. I cast myself upon them. They're my sustenance. All of those great promises that God has made to us. Stand on them. Trust them. Live by them. Hearing leads to faith. Faith leads to obedience. I heard a story about when America was being settled and it was winter and one of the settlers was coming up to the Mississippi River in winter, night was falling, he could see that there was a layer of ice across the Mississippi River, although he didn't know how thick and he didn't want to fall through and die. So he spread himself out on all fours and started crawling across the Mississippi River. While he's about halfway out, he hears singing and noise behind him. It's the clopping of uh, horses, pulling a carriage, a man sitting up in the carriage, whistling, and the carriage, the horses, and the driver all ride across the ice on the Mississippi River. Now the guy on all fours feels pretty foolish because he discovers this is solid ground. I can stand on it. I can walk on it. I can run on it. And he's out there like this, creeping on the river. How many of us live... Like the first guy, creeping on all fours, or do we stand firm on the promises? You know, there's an old song, Standing on the Promises of God, my Savior. Standing on the Promises of God. It's a great old hymn. But if we were honest, some of us could never sing that song. We would have to say, Creeping on the Promises of God, my Savior. And some of us aren't even creeping on the promises. We're merely setting on the premises. But there's an activity after we hear, and that is the activity of obedience. Third, and finally, we'll close with this, obedience leads to blessing. Obedience leads to blessing. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Now watch this. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord, so Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Did you get that? Soon as Abram obeyed God, God was there to meet him with two things. A new presence and a new promise. A new presence and a new promise. Verse seven, the Lord appeared to him. Now that's different than verse one. Verse one, the Lord just spoke to him. Gave him his word said, do this, and this is what I'm going to do. And he listened and he produced faith and he obeyed. Now that he obeys, God gives him more of himself by appearing to him. Now there's the principle. As we obey God, God will disclose more of himself to us. And that's a New Testament principle. If you draw near to God, he'll what? Draw near to you. Uh, it's, it's like God's up there saying... There's so much more I'd love to do for you. Will you please seek me and draw near to me so I can do this for you? Hebrews says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Here's Abram diligently seeking God. Here's Abram drawing near to God. And here's God lavishly rewarding Abram. With a new sense of His presence, He appeared to him. And then a new promise. I'm going to give this land to you and your descendants forever. So, with every step of Abram toward God in obedience, God made a step toward him in opening up, disclosing, revealing more of Himself. In closing, I want to ask you to compare and then choose between two ways to build and live your life. It's pretty simple. It's the choice of the way of the world, Or the way of God. The way of the world is make a name for yourself. The way of God is don't worry about it. Let me make a name for you. Chapter 11 gives us the first picture. Chapter 12 gives us the second. Chapter 11 is the story of Babel. You know the story how they built this tower. Look at chapter 11 verse 4 for just a moment. Come let us build ourselves a city And a tower whose top is in the heavens, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now you compare that with Abram in chapter 12 when God says, I will bless you and I will make your name great. All those people in Babel wanted to be in the Fortune 500 of Chaldea. And they probably were. But God says to Abram, forget that nonsense. Let me do this through you and for you. So back to that principle we started with. People who make their mark, people who live with purpose, are people who respond to God. So what I'd like to ask you this morning, and you can only answer it in your own heart, is what kind of a listener are you? You know, Jesus said, take heed not just what you hear. He said, take heed how you hear. We can hear information actively or we can hear information passively, mechanically. I watch television very passively. It drives Lenya nuts. Because she wants to focus in on a movie. I want to just go through every single channel, back and forth. I could do it for hours. It's mindless, I know. It's weird entertainment, I know. But it's just, I'm very passive about it. It's like, oh, cool, a little snippet there. Mm Mm-hmm, yep, I'm done. A lot of people come to church like I watch TV. They put their mind and their hearts in neutral. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the president with a big smile, used to hate the formalities of White House functions. And one evening, he was thinking, you know, I don't think people really listen much to what I have to say. They just really want to shake my hand or get an autograph at a lot of these functions for the public. So one night, he decided to do an experiment. After a dinner at the White House, he would receive people in a line, he'd shake their hands, and he said, I'm going to tell them something so off the wall to see if they're even listening. So people would line up, come up to the president, he'd flash that big smile, put out his hand, and he leaned over that night and said... I killed my grandmother this morning. (laughs) He said, most of the people said, good job, Mr. President. That's wonderful. None of them caught it except one foreign diplomat who knew that something was on, and he said, I'm sure she had it coming to her, Mr. President. (laughs) Maybe we should place a warning sign outside every church that says, warning, danger ahead. Hearing can be hazardous to your health. You say hearing, God's Word, can be hazardous to your health. If in hearing, you don't take the next step of believing and acting to experience the blessing, then a callus forms over your heart. Pretty soon you become a professional churchgoer. You listen to sermons every week. You start grading them instead of applying them. And the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we drift away from them. Let's pray that doesn't happen. Heavenly Father, all of us are exposed to the Word of God throughout the week. And maybe this is a message especially designed for preachers. People who handle that text a lot. And it becomes very professional, very formal. But any of us, all of us can get into the trap of hearing, reading. We're dealing with your voice, your self-disclosure, your revelation, and we can do it passively. I pray that we would hear in such a way that when faith is produced by hearing it, It would then lead to an action of obedience because of it, which would then result in your blessing at the end of it. We ask that in Jesus' name.